Welcome to Life's a Beach. I'm Bruce Hopkins, better known as Hoppo from Bondi Rescue. Each week I'll be sharing some stories, the good, the bad and everything in between. I'll be chatting to guests about their life experiences and giving our listeners an insight to the challenges we have faced in our lives. We'll share a few jokes and some banter along the way and hopefully our experiences will resonate with you. As the saying goes, while life's a beach, it can also be a bitch. Hey everyone, this week on Life's a Beach, I've got in the beach shack Luke Cook, who is the creator and host of Cuppa. I've done a little bit on his podcast as well, so it's a pleasure to have him in. And he tells the story about his tough times throughout his career and also a good friend of ours who suddenly passed away. It's a great story, so let's sit back and have a listen to my chat with Luke. Today in the Beach Shack, I've got a, a friend of mine that I've known for a fair while. I've also done a bit of work together and he's got a great story. Luke Cook, how are you, mate? Hoppo, good to be here, buddy. Very good. Mate, it's a pleasure to have you in. Now, let's start off way back where you grew up. I'm a Western Sydney boy, mate. I grew up um, out at um, Kings Langley near Blacktown area. Started my life, you know, born in 1981 when Parramatta last won a grand final, but we can talk about that later. But, you know, for me, growing up was was okay. I, I did hit a, you know, a pretty big tragedy early on in my life. My dad passing away when I was four years old. Uh, but mum did everything that a, an incredible woman does and she took on the role and, yeah, grew up out Western Sydney and, and loved my life growing up so that must be tough as you're growing up starting to go to school and you know your dad wasn't around and so how did that 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 you wouldn't have known really that much about him so it would have been weird, tough. You know? yeah it was tough because you know you you know growing up at school you see you know like the father and son races and all those types of things so you knew that something wasn't right um it's weird, mate. I don't remember too much of my dad. Um, there's only two real pivotal moments that I do remember, and one is being told off at the dinner table um, and being forced to my room without <laughs> any food, even though mum snuck me in some later on. Um, and the second moment happened when uh, dad was actually a salesperson for a fruit juice company, was one of the managers there. And one day I remember him bringing home his car, van or whatever it was, and in the back there was a popper, and I remember him handing me one of his poppers. And I just remember the, the waist down of my dad because that's the height that I was. And then the only other time that I remember, mate, is when the police car came to my nan's house where I used to, she used to look after me before and after school and just see my mum in the back of the car. That was a, you know, one of those sort of moments that you just don't forget. Yeah, it's, it's amazing the, the memories you get, isn't it, from, uh, from different things when you look back. Yeah, totally. Mate, so then you went to school. Did you play any sports or was there any, you know, when you got to teenage years, any thought of what career you could possibly do? Yeah, mate, I, I loved I loved anything that was on land. I probably was a little bit opposite to you. My water skills weren't that crash hot. I blame my Ranger hairstyle for that. But, you know, like it was a – I really – I loved soccer. I played soccer most of my life. was very good at athletics. I was like junior boy champion in running around the sort of 200 and 100 metre mark. Anything longer than that, I didn't really have the ticker for. So I was very good in the sort of sprint area of, of those areas. Um Growing up during school, I, I, I was always thrust upon, you know, being on the stage and, and stuff like that. I was always hosting or doing MC work 
for school and, and found a real passion in sort of drama and acting. Little did I know going through the, the schooling years that drama and acting also came with essay writing and all the rest of it, which wasn't my strong point. But, you know, like it was always, I was always wanting to, I don't know if I would say be the centre of attention, but I'd always love seeing smiles on people's faces after I'd do something. And, you know, that that sort of has galvanised me throughout my life, if I look at it. Did I know what I wanted to do after school? No. I didn't want to go to university because I didn't want to do four years and on something that I wasn't sure about. So I did a one-year public relations and marketing course and then landed my first ever job in radio, mate. That's I loved it. I really did. Well, tell us a bit about that. When you started in radio, got your first first gig. Mate, I was, uh, I was lightning Luke on the streets of Sydney, handing out free cans of Coke and doing live crosses for the radio. <laughs> it was it was such an awesome job though, Hoppo. Like it was like one of those sort of things that my job was about going around and, and meeting people and having conversations and putting smiles on people's faces and doing live crosses back to the studio and putting myself in weird situations like abseiling down buildings and dressing up as a nun and pretending that I was broken down for the morning radio show to see <laughs> if anyone would pull over. I, I really loved it, mate. And, and you know, my first ever job was to drive a manual car, mate. I didn't know how to drive a manual car and I was told that I'd had to, like, this. you got the job, Luke, but here's your car. And I just went, Mum, I don't know what I'm going to do here. I don't drive manual. So I did a crash course in manual. And the first time I drove out of the car park of the radio station, I stalled it at the roundabout. And, uh, yeah, just, you know, just many fun moments like that. Radio is such a, a an unbelievable industry to, to cut your teeth in, that's for sure. And from that point then, you thought, oh, look, this is something that I want to do. I, I loved the radio environment. It was high pace, high energy, um, a lot of fun, like <laughs> – I used to do uh, the the radio station I was in used to be in like a square block right inside, and there used to be like a a hallway that used to go all around the building. And I remember myself and the program director Dwayne used to get on our scooters and do time trials around the the hallways of the of the radio station. <laughs> you know, it, it just was so much joy, and I knew that I wanted to be in radio. I just didn't know where. And my lo- and I sort of I worked in the promotions and sponsorships division of a radio station, and I. You know, I, I think this carried through my whole career. When someone left, I always got promoted. So I, I didn't go down the on-air route. I ended up going down more the internal promotions and sponsorship route. And all of a sudden, I found myself being promotions director of the radio station that I was in at the age of 24. And, you know, I still got a lot of enjoyment out of it. But, yeah, it was sort of like always in my career was always progressed through the ranks pretty quickly. And then when where'd you go from there after finishing with the radio? I worked at the radio station for a few years, um, probably about four years, where I was Sydney Promotions Manager, and then I uh, got the itch to go overseas, and I worked in radio over in, U- uh, in the UK um, at Essex FM. Uh, my first ever job was uh, organising Essex Babes competition, which I'm sure you can't do these <laughs> days, but that was my first ever gig over in the UK, and I, I then came back and did radio for, for uh, another few years at, at um, a radio network across Australia and became national promotions and sponsorships director of that radio network at the age of 27. And then I got tapped on the shoulder by one of my bosses going, Cookie, you're so good at selling. Like, you should be in sales, mate. Like, why are you wasting your time in promotions? Like, you'll get a lot more money in sales. And I sort of took his uh, guide by that and I, I, I moved to organisation. I worked for a brilliant company called MCM Entertainment, which I think is where I first met you, Hoppo, back then. 
Uh, we used to put on a lot of live music shows and gigs and events and I, I used to be able to sell those uh, and make a lot of money and then, you know, I think my life started turning where it became more about money than happiness and, and the wheels started to fall off a, a little bit around, you know, who I was and, and where I was heading. I didn't – it sort of became too much about money instead of purpose. So I hear that a lot too with with people that I've been interviewing and they lose the passion and the reason why they're doing something and it all becomes, you know, a lot of people you hear, oh, I've left this job because there's more money than another job. But it doesn't mean you're going to be happy, does it? No, it doesn't, mate. And, not, you know, again, I was progressed through the ranks there very quickly in, in MCM and all of a sudden I found myself as sales director of the media organisation. And then it became about spreadsheets and hitting the bottom line. It was less about ideas and and joy it was more about you know what we had to achieve and not only what i had to achieve but everything that i had to drill into my team in achieving and i became this sort of drill sergeant bit arsehole-ish in all honesty around you know i i I try to replicate my manager instead of having my own style and it it reached a point where i lost so much enjoyment that i was burning myself out working stupid hours my blood pressure was through the roof and it it just became too much, mate, um, to a point where I remember giving one of my best mates, Hodgie, a call. I was walking outside and I crumbled. At, uh, I started going – I started not saying the, the – not. I wasn't Luke Cook. I, I wasn't I wasn't cookie. I was someone that he was – that I, I, I wasn't – I wasn't feeling myself. And I'll never forget that conversation, mate, because no matter how much I spoke to my then – uh, girlfriend who's now my wife about it and she would tell me the exact same thing that came out of his mouth but he said it in a way that just rocked me he said it in a way that I can't say it because there's so many swear words but he had to shock me out of my own ego and get me to realize that you know everything that you're worried about is you shouldn't be worried about you've got to find you again and that's when I made the decision mate that I I've got to stop thinking about the money and I've got to start finding out what's right for me. And I ended up taking three months off. I gave up my work. I didn't have anything to go to. I took three months off and I called it recharge to take charge. And and that was to spend time on finding where, where my joy was again. You know, like it's, it's, it's funny. The other day, Hoppo, I got handed a promo rugby league ball, right? And I just it just hit me back when I was a little kid going in between classes of bouncing the footy between classes and you sort of forget that that child aspect of who you are. And, you know, it just, you know, these little moments that I had to start bringing back into my life that brought a smile back to my face. Um, yeah. So that's that's the journey of it, I suppose. And I suppose, though, as you're saying, it can affect your health. And then from there, it also can affect your relationship that you're in as well. And everything just starts spiralling out of control. I remember my wife when... My wife and I, when I took that three months off, we actually sat down and it's quite a confronting conversation to have going, you know, where am I at? Like, what what are the, what are my red flags at the moment? Like, and so we actually sat down and we wrote a red flag list and the red flag list was everything that was happening in my life that wasn't me. I was drinking too much. I was not enjoying the work that I was doing. I was um, being short with people. I was, you know, and it was an interesting list to go through with someone that you love. 
because that red flag list, I still got to this day, it's on a scrumpled piece of paper and it, and it sits with me and I look on it regularly. And by all means, out of the 14 things that were red flagged, I'm not 100% on all of those, but I'm not the 14. I'm maybe three or four. And I, I think that is one area that, you know, everyone should do with their loved one is just where are those moments that you've got to watch out because you know that if you start getting more of those red flags you're you're on a tangent you're in a you're you're not heading in the right sort of space and you know that was a pretty big moment for me i battled a lot in my head hoppo like many people do like why am i doing this what am i doing um the conversations i used to have in my head would would sometimes be never ending i'd try and problem solve situations that weren't occurring and that's when you start to realize that Oh, shit, you know, like you've got to get out of your head. You've got to get out of your head sometimes. And for people listening, it's a great message because a lot of people, well, we all go through it at some stage. It doesn't matter who you are, you go through some tough times. And to sit down with your wife and sometimes people from outside looking in can see so much better than what you can when you're in that sort of little, uh, you know, pocket of, of things going through your head. The other benefit of it is, mate, is just getting it out, you know? Like, you know, so often we we might know these sort of things, but until you sit down with someone, whether it's a professional support person or whether it's someone close to you, or, the, the thing is, is people can't have an opinion, right? Like, you've got to work through this in your own right. And to be able to sit down and do that with my wife was such a powerful moment. Like I said, I've still got my red flag list with me by my desk every single day. So... You had the three months off. In that period, you think, well, now what the hell am I going to do? Well, I'm a bit of a doer, Hoppo. Like, it's very hard to keep me still. And, I'm, you know, I'm sure many people can resonate with that. I, I went, like most people, and went into problem-solving mode. Like, I guess I was trying to find who Luke was and, you know, I was getting into better practices. Like, I was getting up early every morning, going to see the sunrise, getting exercise, starting the day with me. Like, so many great things were starting to be entrenched in my habits and rituals that were awesome. But then on the other part, I was trying to solve the situation very quickly. And, you know, I sat there and I started thinking about, well, what did I love in my career? Well, I love making people happy. I love going to experiences and enjoying moments. I love all these sort of factors. And I went, well... How about how could I create something that could connect people with experiences in life that they love? And how can I allow businesses to be re- able to reward people with things that they actually care about and not just a standardized tokenistic gift card? So that's where the idea came about of launching an, an app. <laughs> and I can talk about that. Launching an app that was based around sort of money can't buy experiences, standing on the field with your favourite footy team or going to a celebrity chef restaurant. There wasn't much out there at the time that enabled that. There was Red Balloon, but they were pretty standard. There was nothing really personal about it all. So, yeah, I went on building an app that was sort of like Tinder, but for experiences where you could say yes or no to things that you love and try and allow businesses and individuals to connect more with things that brought them joy. And I remember that's when... I came on board as well and you got me to, we went down and a, and a company came on board to, to go down and do the shark dive down in, yeah. in, in South Australia, Port Lincoln. And that was a great experience. And the, and the people that came with me were just so stoked on getting down the cage and, and seeing the sharks, which normally they probably would never ever done. No, and especially not do it with one of the world's best lifeguards as well. <laughs> you know, like it's, 
you know, it was it, it's magical moments like that that create memories, and that's what we were trying to achieve with with Fun Locker. And in principle, the idea was brilliant. The execution became the most difficult. You know, I'm not a tech guy. I built an app. I used my I sold my apartment to use the capital to build it. I made a mistake that is like scar wounds on my body that cost me like forty grand. One mistake, you know, to fix. And you know, like it. Yeah, <laughs> there's parts of me that sit here and go, you know, the premise of the idea I wish would still be here because you did see the joy on people's faces, Hoppo. Like I remember, I went to stand on the field with at Parramatta's new stadium, which is my favourite footy team, and I, I stood there and I just looked around with the people that came with me, and I just went, "This is incredible. This is amazing." It just, it just, you know, it's just one of those sort of things where other factors started to play a play a role in its growth. Yeah, there's something I like doing too is just you see people's faces. And, and I get that with the beach where, you know, kids watch Bondi Rescue, they come down and they just want a photo. They've got a smile on their face because they see you. And it's just so good to, to give back. And it's so easy because I'm just there doing the job that I'm doing. And, and But I'm putting, you know, smiles on people's faces. So it's a really, really good way to be. So tell us about... Like Fun Locker was still, there was tough times, wasn't there, to try and, whereas everyone thinks a business, when they mainly only see it when it's become successful, they don't see the long hours, the tough times, as you said, make a mistake and you lose 40 grand, all that stuff behind the scenes. Yeah, you know, I um, I, I established a great relationship with um, my business partner then, Jill, um, which we'll, I know we'll touch on. Um, and Jill and I were like the yin and yang. Like we we just we just worked really well together. Um, she was very well connected in the experience base, and I was you know launching this business, so it made sense for us to work and collaborate together. Yeah, no one really sees the the challenging times. No one no one no one hears the conversations that you have to have with your wife about. Oh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to put food on the table this week. Um, no one hears about the the mistakes that happen or the the different elements around business that no one may comprehend, like all the different insurances that you need and all the other areas around, you know, a business like that. So, yeah, it was always a challenge. Um, we had our successes, though. We had many successes. And we sort of, like any business, you start to – You've got to move and 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 evolve very quickly, and that's a great thing about a startup because you can you can see something not working and pivot and move towards something better, and you're always constantly doing that until you find you start to get to your product fit. And we started to get there where we had a couple of big clients, big big clients about to drop some massive revenue, and then oh mate, COVID hit, and yeah, then that's the next part of the journey. Well. As you know, COVID hit and then with a business like you've got, which is experiences, that just would have gone from a heap of them to absolutely zero. I remember one week, mate, in one week, we had three clients pull all their revenue. Um, I'm talking hundreds of grand. That was that was my – I ran out of my own personal capital by that stage. That was our next stage of – you know, sustaining the business and keeping things going. And I, uh, 400 of our experience makers shut their doors. That hit me. That really did. That was probably my rock bottom moment because all of a sudden I went into moments of guilt. How did I put my family through this? Because I had, any, I had a young little daughter by that stage, about a month's worth of rent left to pay, trying to put food on the table. I literally cried every day. 
and you know only a few people know that right um i cried every day i tried to you know pick myself up with my positive attitude but it just wasn't working i did have a support network in there checking in but everyone was going through struggles at that time or navigating their own things right so it was it was a tough period and you know whilst i hit the ground pretty hard i suppose you know uh, uh, i don't know if it's got to do with my my idea brain or whatever it may be at least i was looking up and you know it, it, i walked up one morning uh, and my my only joy every day besides seeing my daughter and my wife was walking up to my local coffee shop getting a double shot latte and just ex- having that experience and then that's when I called Jill and I said Jill far out like my mental health's a bit of a struggle and I know I'm not the only one how I, I've got my joy in the morning how do we bring other people joy in the morning and that's where the idea came to launch a virtual cafe god knows how we're going to do it um and start inviting people like yourself in hoppo to help people start their day with a dose of positivity and inspiration and that's where kappa started and mate it took a 40 dollar poster that i bought from office works of a cafe backdrop that i stuck up behind me because i didn't like any of the zoom backdrops or anything like that and uh, i held my first conversation with the incredible gus wallen from gotcha for life around mental health and mateship and Fast forward, mate, to today, we've had over 400 of those. Yeah, and as you said, I I came on, had a chat, and it's a fantastic idea, and you've been very successful with it. Do you think your radio experience and all the experience you had in the past, without you realising, has probably brought you to the cuppa? I I feel like my life's gone 360, mate, 100%. I feel like... uh, my a little bit of my ego of trying to bring back lightning luke mate i think was a part of that as well um but no i I do man i do i do i do think that in life when we find those moments of joy they do come back at us if we allow it to come back and let it in you know what i mean we we just got to find it within us if we're if we're stuck in a rut and we don't have anywhere else to turn to turn to the things that bring you joy even if it's in your business idea, like what, what lights you up? Is it about giving to others? Is it about, like, you know, is it about ideas or creative? How do you incorporate that in you every single day? And I feel like that that's what happened with me with Kappa. As soon as I turned on that live switch for that first session with Gus and was just being able to have an authentic and real conversation with who, how we're feeling right now and how the market is feeling and just being honest and vulnerable and, and open, to each and every one of the guests that have appeared, it's it sent me on this journey of conversation that I wish everybody who is listening could go through in their own way. And as men, we don't speak enough about it, you know, and that's probably a, a big problem. And I noticed with just through what you're doing with Kappa, my podcast, it's starting to get people to talk, especially the men. And, and they're coming out with stuff that, as you said before, not many people know that you cried every day. It's, it's starting to bring all that out. And people listening can really resonate with it because they're probably going through the same problem at some stage of their life. Mm, I, I totally agree with you, mate. I think um, our ability, our vulnerability can be a superpower. It can change lives. I've seen it. You've seen it. You've got to come from a place of strength when sharing your vulnerability, though, and that takes time to work on. It is that little comment here or there that opens you up. It's not saying I need to blurt out everything in one go. If you can, great, and if it's with a with someone there that can support you, amazing. But it's those little comments that you can 
start to say in a conversation that slowly gets you stepping forward in your vulnerability until you come to a point where you know that every comment or every word that I'm about to say right now will have a lasting impact on someone. And that's when you, that's when the strength kicks in. And that's when I, that's where I'm at at the moment is I know that my vulnerability, I'd need to share it because whilst no one can ever walk in my shoes, Hoppo, people can follow your footprint until they're comfortable enough to walk in their own journey. And that's, that's the, that's the, that's the opportunity we all have, whether it's in a broadcast channel, like what we're doing right now, or whether it's with a loved one or whether it's with a friend, whether it's with a work colleague. Your story has such power if you've you've cut if you're uh, if you're ready to be able to share it. Yeah, I couldn't hundred percent couldn't agree more. It's uh it's very very powerful. Now with all the interviews you do, have you taken away any lessons for yourself in, in your own life after listening to everybody? It's been a life changer for me, Hoppo. Like I lived in a bubble. We all live in a bubble. Our bubble is the people that we talk to every single day that are similar to us. My biggest learning out of everything is when we have conversations with people that are different from you, culturally, sexuality, if they've got a disability, a different walk of life or whatever it may be, that's when our real growth happens. It's where change can take place, not only within ourselves, but also as a society in a broader level. The biggest learnings from me have been from First Nations people, from the Indigenous community here in Australia. My biggest learning is, is, is speaking to people with a disability or who may have gone through a trauma. My biggest learnings have been from world champions and, and people who have got incredible mindset. All these people can be tapped into if we look broader in our own lives. And that's my biggest encouragement for anyone that is listening today is get out of your bubble and start having more conversations with people that are different from you. Yeah, very good. And, mate, uh, how is Cuppa going at the moment? Tell us about that. You've uh, been doing it for a while now, and you've had some great interviews on there. We are we are in a really good spot, Hoppo. We've interviewed over 400 different experts and personalities from all different walks of life. We have three core pillars of well-being, um, performance, mainly at work, like communication, productivity, and then belonging, so around sustainability, diversity and inclusion topics, etc. Companies have embraced what we do because we provide them with a real easy access to conversations of meaning and importance. Um, but our growth next year, mate, is we're going to create programs and shows like Netflix, like all those where people can follow, you know, storylines and and learn more from our experts in residence um, in Kappa where their voices are going to be heard more and not just mine. Uh, so, yeah, we're, I'm really excited by where we're heading. Like, oh, I like to, I hope we, I like to say it's the binge watching that actually improves your life, not takes it away. And, you know, the joy that I get and seeing the impact that we have is definitely what's driving us. Mate, I, what I do want, though, is I want to have our own cafe next year our own headquarters where you can come down for a cuppa, mate, and we have a studio there and we can do this type of stuff in there um, and have more conversations where we can bring the community back together because I, I, I unfortunately am seeing that technology is impacting our conversational muscle in how we have better conversations together as a society. We see things at face value. We see things at short form. We see things that are not what we are designed to do as a society, and that is to be connecting in more conversations with our 
other humans in real life. Mate, that'd be great. I can't wait to come down and have a cuppa. We can, we can call it the Hoppo special. Maybe we come up with like a, a Hoppo blend juice or something like that. What do you reckon? Oh, mate, sounds really good. There we go. Uh, so people listening, how do they get involved and, and come on and listen to cuppa and come in and have that cuppa? So if you just go to watch.cuppa.tv, that's like the Netflix of conversations that we have. You can become a member and join. We have a lot of free conversations appearing and more we'll do that next year. So it's just about tapping in when you need it most. What I love, Hoppo, is when one of our conversations happen and then someone uses that conversation to have a difficult conversation with a loved one, whether it's around their anxiety or whether it's around, you know, if we can start this chain of conversation flow where we help people with eggshell conversations with the ones that they're nervous about having or, or wanting or with themselves or with others. And that's, that's the benefit of why we do what we do. So yeah, watch.cuppa.tv, go there, explore and engage in some of the conversations that we have. Right. It's uh it's great. I recommend it to go and get on and have a listen. It's uh really, really entertaining. Now, mate, we're going to touch on a, a, a tough conversation. Like you're saying, treading on eggshells, this for us is uh is quite tough. Yeah. You mentioned Jill before your part, a business partner, um, and I had a lot to do with it with, you know, working with different uh, events and, 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 you know, become very uh, good friends. It was tragic what happened. You can tell the stories, you know it better, but, and it's very close to me too because it's a part of what I do in the ocean and so many drownings around the world, but I'll leave it to you to uh, start the conversation. It was really weird having this conversation with you, Hoppo, because I remember so often you would come into Kappa and share exactly what to do if you're caught in a certain situation in the surf. Now, Jill was just an incredible human being. Like, you know, you, you can't, the words can't describe who this person was, like her energy levels when she walked in a room to what she left people with, as in the feeling that they walked away from whenever they met Jill. And Jill and I had been working our absolute butt off on the evolution of Kappa into this new platform. We spent about six months going through all the content, picking out the best bits with, through all our experts. We were getting new agreements done with all our experts. Like there's so much work that goes into developing a product. And we just worked our absolute butt off to a point where Jill just goes, Cookie, before the, this platform launches, I just want to... I need to take a break. I'm, I'm not bringing my laptop. Don't call me like all the things that you shouldn't do anyway. And she goes, I'm just going to go away with some friends to Noosa and enjoy some time away. And she did. She went away with a couple of our experts and, and her life coach at the time. And they went away for a girl's retreat. And, mate, she promised herself every morning that she'd get up and do a meditation in front of the ocean and go for a swim and Mate, the first day that she was there in Noosa, she did that. She got up early, did a meditation in front of the beautiful sunrise, and there's a picture of it, by the way, but decided to go for a swim, and she went by herself. And what happened next was the absolute tragedy, and unfortunately we lost our good friend Jill and my business partner and the general energy that she gave every single day because that, that morning of... 25th of January changed everything for a lot of people. And what was it like when you got that phone call? Because I remember when you rang me and told me and the, the, the shock that I felt, it must have been 
way more for, you, for yourself. You remember these moments, mate, forever. I remember I was at the pantry. I was sneakily getting something snack full, snacky in, in the morning. It was, it was mid-morning. And I got the call from one of the girls that were there. And uh, I fumbled. I fell to the ground. I started bawling. I didn't believe it. I started bawling. My wife's going, what's going on? My, my daughters were there. And I, I got up. I went outside. And it was just a matter of disbelief when I heard those words that Jill's not here anymore because I just I didn't believe it. I thought Jill may have had an accident when I got the phone call. I felt of something, but I didn't think she was gone. And then, mate, I, you just get sent into this out-of-body experience of what just happened. And it, it was, it was, it, you just couldn't think, you couldn't think that Jill wasn't here anymore. And at that stage, you were nearly to the point to launch Kappa. And then how is that when you go, well, the person that was with me this whole way to get to that point is now not here. Usually when I, something bad happens in my life, I gravitate towards work because I've got that in control, Right. I couldn't do this this way. I, not only did it affect me personally with Jill being such a good friend, but she was also my partner in crime. Like besides my wife, Jill's probably the only other person that knew the ups and downs of a roller coaster ride that is startup world. And to lose that person, not necessarily the role. Like the people's roles can always be replaced. <laughs> no matter no matter if I go or whatever, you know, like roles can be replaced. It's the energy levels that people bring into a role that that. I lost forever. And that's what Jill had, you know, like my, my, it was weird though, Hoppo, like it was, I, I thought about that pretty quickly because it's such a big part of my life. And I just heard, just heard the words that I know Jill was just saying, the show must go on cooking. You're not, we're, you're not letting this go because we've worked too bloody hard on this and you do not let this go. Do not let this go. And you know, navigating those first days afterwards, the first weeks, you know, it was, it was hard because I just sort of became the central point of call for everybody uh, because everyone was going like, what the hell happened? I've heard, I need to hear it from someone that I know. And that person became me. I, I fielded 200 phone calls, Hoppo, in those two weeks and regular phone calls like, well, what's happening next? What's going on with the funeral? Like, it, 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 and you know, like this wasn't only on me, like, Jill's partner, her mum, her close net of, net of friends really galvanised together to, to to move things forward. But it was difficult, mate. Like, you can't fathom it. It's it's losing a close one like that was hard. I I suppose I've dealt I've been dealt some massive blows in my life where it's losing money and losing my dad when I was young and sometimes in life you don't know where I call it our puzzle piece of life, right? Like we've got a vision in our, in our work, how we see our lives, but it's made up of these little moments and those little moments are puzzle pieces, right? Sometimes they're good. Sometimes they're bad. Sometimes they're big. Sometimes they're small. And sometimes we don't know where they fit in our lives. So we put them away. We hide them underneath a couch. We don't want to think about it because it's not right for right now. But with this moment, I sort of knew where that piece fit because I realized the purpose that we built within Kappa was a legacy that not only do I want to leave, but something that I want to be ongoing for, for my business partner, Jill, as well. And how was the feeling then when it got up and going? You know, did you think that 
Jill's still on board here because little bits and pieces are, have still got that part of her that was creating it with you. I, I think the biggest moment happened for me, mate, to realise that we have to keep on going was when I sent out the communication to our audience. Because Jill was in the chat room chatting to people and, you know, accepting jams from people, accepting their whatever they wanted to push and talking to them off off the show. And she was right right in the mix of the of the community. And when, when I started receiving emails back like, Jill, you uh, you, you, know, you and uh, Cookie, you and Jill were, were here for us in our hardest times. We're now here for you. And I just, like, my jaw drops at that because we're not building a, a brand here. We're, we're building a community. And the community needs to rally and connect with each other and build from that. And... There's a part of me that don't, doesn't even feel like Jill's gone, mate, in all honesty. Like, I still feel her energy around me. I still feel her opening up doors. The amount of oh-my-God moments that have happened when I've been chatting to someone and they've said that, oh, I knew Jill as well out of the blue because we started talking about my journey. Like, the amount of moments like that, mate, just shows that she's out there making those intros and doing exactly what she did best. Mm. And that's a great way to look at it. And, and, and it's true. I believe the same, it, it, you know, things happen and doors open and it's, yeah, it's definitely people are all, uh, they're all close, even though they're not physically there in front of you. Yeah, totally. I, one thing I've, I'll always remember is that no matter how big Kappa gets to, if it, if it does succeed, when it does succeed, sorry, you can never forget where it came from. And that needs to be instilled in every person, every future employee of Kappa needs to know its heritage, its story. They need to know about Jill. They need to they need to know all this because it's entrenched in being authentic in conversations. And we need to, and this is where I go, every one of us has a story to tell and share. Don't disregard your story. Your story is the most, it's the only thing that, no, it's the only thing that is unique. That is your footprint. That is your legacy. Your story is you. It's no one else's. And it shows Kappa's on the right track because as you said, you got all the response from everybody that was listening. Yeah. So it's obviously that community and, and, and conversation is actually really working. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I think, you know, there's many parts that need to evolve and improve, but you know, at the essence, at the core, I think we've got everything that we need. And mate, at the end of the day, even where if we're changing like a hundred lives or a thousand lives or one life, like we've saved two people on their worst day in Kappa because they tuned into a conversation that I was having with an expert that was sort of like coaching me, but little did you know that it was coaching someone else on the other side of the screen in their most vulnerable moment. Yeah, I think the, the conversations definitely help everybody, even if they're just listening. You know, it's uh, something that definitely uh, helps people. Yeah. Well, Cookie, mate, it's been very good having you in the beach shack, having a chat, telling your story, the stuff that you came out with that I didn't even know. So that's um, really good. And I'm sure this conversation, when people listen, it's really going to help them. So, and congratulations on what you've been doing as well. And, Mate, uh, and I'll let you know when the cafe opens and you can come down and make your own hoppo juice or whatever we want to call it. I'll be, I'll be straight down there, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mate, uh, at the end of the interview, I do a, a, a segment called 
five fun facts. So I'm going to throw some questions at you and uh, answer them however you want. Uh, the first one is favourite childhood memory. Uh, mate, uh, I remember uh, with this one, I, I love it because, uh, again, it's that childhood, you know, that play that comes out in you. I remember my mum and I used to go to the entrance and stay in the caravan park. Next to it used to be a golf course that golfers used to hide their balls, all, like lose their balls all the time. And me and my mates used to go there and see them hit off and land on the green and then nick their golf ball and, you know, just have fun things, cheeky things like that. I just brought joy. Or joy. <laughs> Who is the messiest person that you know? My kids. Like, <laughs> seriously, you can clean that house and then two seconds later, it is a bomb site. I don't know how they do it. <laughs> What's a body part that you would, wouldn't mind losing? My gut at the moment. <laughs> There's definitely a, a shade sale growing. Uh, the dad bod is kicked in. My favourite sport? League. Parramatta supporter. You'd enjoy. I had a chat to uh, Peter Wynn recently. I, and, I heard uh, that, very mate. Good. Yes. He was a legend of Parramatta. He was. Mate, if you were a DJ, what would your DJ name be? DJ Cookie, mate, or DJ, <laughs> L- DJ LC, I also thought of. DJ LC. Um, <laughs> or why not, mate? Bring it back. Lightning Luke is back. <laughs> DJ back Lightning Luke. Luke, never, <laughs> once the songs never strike twice, mate. They're always <laughs> always the best hits. <laughs> Great stuff, mate. Cookie, it's it's unreal having you in the beach shack. So, mate, we'll have to catch up soon, and uh, hopefully, yeah, it's uh, when you've got the the cafe up, and I'll be down. Good man, good man. Thank you, Hoppo. Now let's go to Beach Banner. This week in the Beach Shack for Beach Banner. First time, Matty Hasty is in to chat about a few things. Mate, how are you? Good, Bruce. How are you going? Thanks for having me. Yeah, good, mate. Now, you're working with us recently, but we'll get on to that. But you grew up on the northern beaches, mate, which I've always called the dark side, but I've ended up moving there myself. <laughs> the dark side, the good side. <laughs> yeah, mate, I'm born and bred on the Sydney northern beaches up the northern end, a little town called Newport. Went to a local school, high school there, Barangelli up in Avalon. Yeah, just started playing footy at the age of 14 at the local Newport Breakers. Then went to school, finished school, and then, yeah, got into lifeguarding. So what was it like growing up at the beaches, up in uh, yeah. you know, as a young bloke in northern beaches? Yeah, it was great. It's obviously a lot quieter up here, a lot different to the eastern suburbs. Chilled, very chilled, very relaxed. Quite blessed to be um, born and bred in such a tight little community parents have a house right near the beach so yeah born and bred on the beach what about when you get into a teenager like growing up and you know eastern suburbs we had plenty of places to go out and do things i mean was it you know what was it like back in those days yeah i guess avalon and newport had a bit of i guess rivalry i guess you can maybe brony boys and the bondo boys so growing up there's a bit of um bit of tension especially in the surf like that kind of phased out as i got older there's not much of that around anymore. It had its moments, of course, going out, obviously. And then in the surf, it was, it was on. If you surfed in Avalon or they Avalon boys surfed in Newport, yeah, you get sent in. So you had to be, had to be very <laughs> wary on, <laughs> of who was around, that's for sure. Of course, the Carroll brothers grew up in Newport, didn't they? The, they the, did, yeah. Nick and Tommy Tom. and Nick. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So Nick's still actually, he's, he lives in Newport still. He's part of Newport Surf Club. He's... um. 
like gun trainer, loves his paddling. And yeah, Tommy, the world champion of Newport. Yeah, he was um yeah, he's always still surfing the peak. He lives in Monavelle now. Don't see too much of him. Yeah, it's actually quite cool to live in a suburb where you got the Carroll boys. And never thought of ever moving out of uh the Newport area? Myself? Yeah. Oh no, 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 I couldn't I couldn't live anywhere else. Me and my missus just had that chat recently and I love Newport. Love going to work in Bondi, dealing with the circus, and then coming down Newport Hill, as you know, it's just a different world. It's relaxing. It's home. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's too good here. Yeah, like I said, I'm very blessed to be brought up in such a good town. And you recently got engaged as well, so yeah, is she from she from up this way as well? Yeah, she's born and bred. Yeah, yeah, in Newport, Newport girl. So all is well. So no moving, (laughs) no moving out. No. No, not at all. <laughs> no, not yet. But who knows? <laughs> at the moment, I'm, we're, we're, we're both very happy. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So, yeah that, that's, um, and school and that. What high school did you go to up in the Northern Beaches? Yeah, so I went to two. I went to Marta Maria, which was a Catholic school back of Warriwood. If you don't know where Warriwood is, like Monavale. After year 10, I went to Baron Joey up in Avalon. Completely different schools. One was more strict than the other. Baron Joey being... A lot more chilled on the beach there at North Avalon. You know, every lunchtime, or even if through a few uh, subjects, we used to go surfing, hang at the beach. It was a, it was a good, good kind of back end of my high school career. Yeah, it's a good end of the uh, beach up this the, the coast actually this way from uh, mm. Newport to Palm Beach. It's a bit quieter and it is a lot more relaxed than what it is when you're going further down to Manly and then even yeah, you know, then into the eastern suburbs. Definitely, yeah, yeah. That's it's, yeah. It's a completely different world. The hol- the holiday camp they call it up here. <laughs> Lifeguarding, anyway. It's very quiet. I feel like I'm on holidays every time I come home. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> if you get out niceties, I'm, I'd never really, I'd rarely go to Palm Beach, and it's just you know, 15 minutes up the road. And once you get there, you're like, wow, you know, very lucky. Yes, yeah, so what I found in the lockdown. It was. Really, because no one was going up there, and most of the places up there are all rented out, or, or people own them, but only go up in the that six week Christmas period, and the rest of the time they're not even used. Yeah, well, I did four seasons up there working as a lifeguard, and yeah, like it's a ghost town Monday to Friday, and it's literally only busy for that six week of the Christmas break. And you, look, I remember just looking at up on the hill when it's just all the houses are just blinds down. Yeah, it's amazing, and, you, and you're just like, wow, like what a what a waste. Oh, it's crazy. Give, I remember. Um, give me the keys. People that um, that I know bought a, bought a place up there for about 10 or 14 million and then just yeah. knocked it down, rebuilt it for another whatever amount of million. Yeah, it's crazy. And uh, they, use it, they use it two weeks a year. The rest of the time sits there, blinds down, no one in it. Yeah, exactly right. Crazy. So, crazy, crazy world. <laughs> Money. All right, man. It's great having you at the beach shack, mate. I'll uh, catch up with you soon. Thanks, Bruce. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Now it's time to have a listen to the fans in the mailbag. This week's letter in the mailbag is from Richard and he's from Sydney. How was your Christmas? Was it busy at the beach? Yeah, I had a good Christmas. Worked on Christmas Day. It was uh, a busy day. A lot of people around... We did about 30 or so rescues on the day, so it was not probably as many rescues as usual, which was a good thing, but the crowd 
there was a good 25,000 uh, people at the beach. So pretty much uh, was a, a good day, except I uh, picked up a bit of an injury and uh, tore my calf muscle uh, while I was doing a rescue. So the end of the uh, day wasn't the best, but, mate, all in all, at least everyone had a great time at the beach and uh, everyone went home safe. So thanks, Richard, for your question, and I'll catch you all again next week. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Remember to subscribe to Life's a Beach wherever you get your podcasts and hit us up with questions, comments, or follow us on our social media channels, which you can find in our show notes. That's it for today, beach fans. Stay safe and swim between the flags.